How you doing? Who's doing well? Put your hand up if you're doing well. Put your hand up if you're not doing so well. You people should talk. All right. Get some encouragement from those people who are doing well. Um, we're, we're here at the end of John's introduction to his book. Um, and uh, that's the last section that we're, we're looking at. And like any classic introduction, an intro, a good introduction in a book takes you through a bunch of the themes of the book in advance. And... Um, and you get to get a bit of a taste of it. And so uh, John's kind of had a few deep dives in the first, um, uh, well, it'll be the 18 verses today. That's his introduction. Um, and there's a bunch of stuff in there. You just go, can you just unpack that a little bit more for me? And well, uh, that's what John's going to do for the rest of his, uh, his book about Jesus is he's going to unpack a bunch of those things. So today, what I want us to do is just to go to the um, the last section of his introduction, his prologue in John chapter 1, verse 15 to 18. So if you can crack your uh, Bibles open or press whatever app icon you need to. Um, I'm just going to read verse 15 to 18. John chapter 1, verse 15 to 18. John bore witness about him, that's Jesus, uh, John the Baptist, um, is the John that, that John the disciple is talking about. And he cried out, this is, was he of whom I said, he who comes after me ranks before me, because he was before me. So this is pretty straightforward. This is like um, the people who are born first um, have the precedence. So John the Baptist is saying, even though I was born first and Jesus was born after me, Jesus is more significant to me because he existed before I was born. Um, that's what he's saying there. Verse 16, for from his fullness we have all received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, the only God who is at the Father's side, he has made him known. So let's just hook straight in, hey? Here's the uh, first thing that we see here. Have a look at verse 16. I'm going to start uh, with, uh, with four words. For from his fullness. <laughs> Let's just stop there for a moment. That's how it works. That's how it always works. God's infinite. His character overflows. He is fullness. Everything about him is, is full. It's not half empty, it's full. You remember, some of you might remember the last week we looked at Exodus 34 verse 5. To seven, here it is on the screen. The Lord descended in the cloud and stood with Moses there, that's who the hymn is, and proclaimed the name of the Lord. The name is someone's character, who they are. So he told Moses who he was. The Lord passed before him and proclaimed the Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, but who will by no means clear the guilty. Visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and the children's children to the third and the fourth generation. What God's telling Moses is he's telling him who he is. And I want to just stop today and just consider one of these. And one of them, uh, the steadfast love there that, uh, that God talks about uh, to Moses. Um, sorry, not the steadfast love. You go back a few words earlier before the steadfast love. What's, what's one of the words that pops up there? Uh, merciful. God is merciful. There's mercy. Or well, what is mercy? 
You know what mercy is? Mercy is when someone's in trouble and you help them. (laughs) That's what it is. Mercy is when someone is in trouble, often trouble that they brought upon themselves, and you help them. That's what mercy is. It isn't mainly about giving good things to people that they don't deserve. It's actually about helping someone who is in trouble. People are under the weight of something, and, uh, and someone else comes in and helps with that. And you need to know this morning that God is rich in mercy. So if you're one of the ones today and you would put your hand up and say, I am in a little bit of trouble, well, you've come to the right place, right? You've come to the right place. You, you can smile at that, all right? It's good news. God is a God of mercy. But here's, here's a question, a question I want to ask you. Does God have less mercy after he has given some to you? <laughs> Does he? Like he's got a pantry full of mercy, right? And he, it's, oh, Peter's in trouble. So he ducks off to the pantry and he grabs some mercy and he brings it out and he gives it to, to Peter. Does that mean he's got less in the pantry? Well, some of you already called it out. Um, if you know God, then you know what the answer is. The answer is no, he doesn't have less. Um, but before we go on, I'll just unpack this a little bit more. Um, let me ask you this question. You can just reflect on this quietly. Do we always live in line with that truth? I guess what I'm saying is, do you ever have a situation where your stated belief is different to your functional belief? Now, let me, let me put it this way. Have you ever thought, here we go, God needs to attend to other more important things? If you've thought that, and I'm not having a crack at you, right? But if you've thought that, you, um, you've got a dislocation between what you say you believe about God and what you functionally actually believe about him. What about this one? Have you ever thought that person needs God's help more than me, so I'm just not going to talk to God about it much? Um, or this one. Have you ever thought, I just need to get over it. I don't want to be a hassle to God. You ever thought those things? Here's here's the kicker. If you have thought those things in some measure, um, in some way, you have thought that God's supply of mercy for you is finite. It's limited. He hands some of it out and he doesn't have as much left after that. Or he gives some to this person over here and he's got less to give to this person over here. Um, it, it kind of raises the fact that you actually might believe that God has limited abilities, he's got limited reserves, and that it's kind of not cool for us to be a drain on his resources, on his reserves. But I want to say to you this morning, when God gives to you, he doesn't give out of a finite, limited amount, he gives out of his fullness. He gives out of overflow every single time. You see, God's giving of mercy to you when you get into a hard place is a giving out of the overflow of who he is. It's a giving out of his fullness. It is not a finite stockpile that you are depleting. You know, this is in stark contrast to what we feel sometimes in interpersonal relationships, right? 
Like sometimes in interpersonal relationships, you just go, it feels like I've got about that much and I could use it up really quickly. You know, you, you could step over a line with people and it could be hard to get back. But I want to say to you this morning that, that that's, that's not God. <laughs> he is not finite like that. Look at this from Lamentations three twenty-two to 23. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. Never come to an end. There's not a finite amount. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. This is um, a section from a book by a guy called uh, Harold Best on unceasing worship. I think it's an awesome uh, section that he writes. He says this, God is the uniquely continuous outpourer. And what he's saying there is God just overflows out of his character all the time. He cannot but give of himself, reveal himself, pour himself out. Even before he chooses to create and before he chooses to reveal himself beyond himself, he eternally pours himself out to his triune self in unending fellowship, ceaseless conversation and immeasurable love unto an infinity of the same. (laughs) Honestly, we have no idea what this is. I mean, we can understand a bit of what it is like for God, but in terms of us understanding, what would it be like to be infinite and be able to just pour out and never have less because you're pouring out we don't get that everything around us is finite it's limited and God isn't when we use sugar there's less in the bowl (laughs) after we're done all right Um, but this never happens to God I'm not talking about sugar obviously some of you going that's cool he can just eat as much sugar as he wants and he's never runs out you know, you know, the reason why he doesn't have less mercy? The reason why he doesn't have less mercy is because mercy is not a resource. When it comes to God, mercy is not a resource. Mercy is part of God's character. It's, his, it's a character trait of his. So you don't, he doesn't run out of it. Like if you, if you go up to someone and you go, that person by nature is an incredibly loving person, you don't ask the question, are they going to run out of love? Because they're a loving person, because that's part of who they are. So when God says that he's merciful and he has unlimited reserves of mercy, he just keeps giving it. Why? Because that's who he is. It doesn't run out. And how do you get unlimited mercy? And this is, man, if you're here today and you're not a Christian, let me tell you how you get it. You get unlimited mercy by being connected to him. Which brings me back to uh, John chapter 1. Remember what it said in John chapter 1? From his fullness... Anyone got it in front of them? What are the next couple of words? Or the next three words? From his fullness, we have received. Now, <laughs> this is the way it always works. All right? Like you read left to right, it always runs from God's fullness to us receiving. Always does. You can kick, kick against that. You can go, I'm not really comfortable with that. I don't really care whether you're comfortable with it. That's just how it rolls. God is the continuous giver, the continuous outpourer, the continuous one of fullness. And he gives to us. It's always God to us, not us to God. You never give God anything which he needs. Ever. 
because he doesn't need anything. And the truth is that we, I don't know, maybe, maybe some of you be with me on this, like you see the limits of your abilities and you see them really clearly. And you know, that puts you in a rich, rich place to receive from his fullness. <laughs> if you strut around, and this is human pride, right? Human pride says, I have fullness. And I'm going to graciously give to all these people around me who don't have fullness. <laughs> You're probably more empty than the people who realise that they're empty. If you believe that. If you think that. You know, you could just settle into needing to receive. Just settle into that. God has so many good things for you. Now, I'm not saying that there aren't things that we can offer to God that are good. I'm just saying he doesn't need anything. He doesn't need anything. Well, what does John actually say that Jesus is filled with? Well, come back to verse 16 to 17. For from his fullness we have all received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. All right, I'm just going to pick a little bit of low-hanging fruit here. Jesus is abundant in grace. Grace is unmerited kindness. It's you getting something good that you don't deserve, that you didn't earn. It's you getting some favour that you couldn't work for. It's you getting God's riches that you'd never qualify for on your own. But this is actually a tricky saying in uh, the Greek. This, this, uh, that's what the New Testament was written in. Um, this saying, grace upon grace. Uh, NIV talks about one blessing after another. Another way of translating it, the commentators often prefer, is grace in place of grace. Um, and there is a sense in which God piles up the blessings on us, doesn't he? Does anyone know that? Go, yeah, he does. He piles up his grace on us. Well, I remember as a younger lad, um, I don't see it around as much, but maybe I'm just not in the circles where it happens. Uh, one of the things that used to go on just over and over and over again is this thing called stacks on. Does anyone know what I'm talking about? Yeah. So you're just lying on the ground or sitting on the ground and someone near you, if you're a male, it doesn't happen to females as much, um, but if you're a male and you're sitting on the ground, someone near you will yell out stacks on. And usually what that means is every male within earshot comes and piles on top of you. All right? And normally your job is, if you're the one that started it, is roll onto your side really early on. And usually what that means is everyone slips off the side and lands on the second guy or the first guy on. It's this stacks on thing and everyone just kind of piles up on top of you, you know. God's grace piles up on top of you. It just piles up on top of you. It's one blessing after another. Not in a rib-cracking way. <laughs> but it's one blessing after another. Um, but it's a little bit of a tricky saying that uh, John's unpacking here. Is it true that Jesus' grace piles up on top of us? 100%. Is that exactly what John's talking about here? Oh, well, I'm not so sure. I think we can get that from the rest of Scripture, but I'm not so sure. Go back to verse 16 to 17 and have a look at it there. I think verse 17 helps us to understand the phrase in verse 16. Let me read it again. And from his fullness we've all received grace upon grace, for the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. Now, one of the things that people do do with this 
passages I say, see, you've got the law in the Old Testament, you've got grace in Jesus in the New Testament. God's kind of this cranky uh, God in the Old Testament and he just wants to dish out judgment to people and then Jesus comes along and he's the nice guy. Well, I don't, I think John's actually saying that's an, it's not an exactly right kind of rendering of the Old Testament. Because I think what John's actually saying here is the grace that comes in place of grace is Jesus coming in place of the Old Testament, the Old Testament law in particular. So the Old Testament law, by implication from John, is grace. It's grace. Um, What do you do with that? (laughs) I think that's where he's going with it. Now, you could ask the question, is there grace in the Old Testament? And I think there is grace in the Old Testament. That would be a good one. And we'll uh, have a look at that in a second. Uh, but let me, let me ask you uh, this question. Is it gracious to go to someone who is doing the wrong thing and tell them they're out of line and how they need to operate? Is it? You guys are really quiet today. Are you okay? Yeah? Okay. Thanks, Graham. Well, I wonder how you'd answer that. Well, it doesn't seem gracious, does it? I remember um, I worked at uh, Toowoomba Christian College as a, uh, a teacher there for a bunch of years. And um, one of the things, uh, I worked with um, high school boys for most of my time there. And uh, I, I've always found it ongoingly entertaining about how boys just put one plus one plus one and kind of get three and they kind of work out something they could do. So here's this big hill at TCC, all right? And at the top of this big hill, so you'll you work this out. As soon as I tell you this next bit, at the top of this big hill, there's a round, corrugated iron old rainwater tank. Like, see? People are going, yeah, I know what's coming. All right? Because it's, it's straightforward. Big hill, round object. I'm just going to shove this thing down there. All right? So some boys are there and they just kind of go, this is, this is going to be so good. All right? Um, we're just going to push this thing down and it's going to be a physics experiment, right? Because it's gravity's going to happen and, and there's going to be a bit of inertia at the top while we push it and then it's going to roll all the way down the hill. But they didn't just do that, did they? They just took it to the next level and they said, you know what would be really cool is if one of us actually got in it and we went down the hill in this rainwater tank. And that is exactly what they did. One of the kids got in it and then they pushed this thing down this rainwater tank and it went down and um, rolled into the fence down the bottom. Now, this one came off, right? And this is one of those ones where boys go, see, you don't always get injured. I'm going to be one of the times where it doesn't happen, right? Because that's what happened. This rainwater tank went down and it, and it ran into the fence and, um, and the kid got out and it was, it was great, right? What do you reckon happened shortly after that? Yeah. A teacher shows up, right? Which is, which is how it rolls. Um, the teacher shows up um, and proceeded to lay down the law and ban them from riding down the hall in rainwater tanks. All right? Now, is that grace or law? It's both, isn't it? It's both. Um, In the words of John, I think John would say that's an expression of grace. 
because it's about stopping the boys or anyone else from getting hurt. You know, tanks were not made to be rolled down the hill with boys inside them. Sorry to disappoint you boys. They just weren't. Um, They don't have steering wheels or airbags and they often have sharp edges. Can you see my point? If someone is doing something wrong and you do nothing about it, it isn't loving and it isn't gracious. You know, sometimes grace looks like intervention, doesn't it? It's Revelation 3 verse 19. um, Jesus says, Those whom I love, I reprove and discipline, so be zealous and repent. If you are out of step with God, out of whack personally and headed toward disaster, would it be gracious if God said nothing? I don't think so. I mean, there is, there is something gracious about God stepping in and saying, hey, here's where you're wrong, you need to turn. He could have said nothing, right? He just could have disappeared, but he didn't do that. You know, there's a sense in which the law is gracious, that God would even give it to us and show us where we're wrong. But it even goes further than that. You know, I was watching the uh, news this week and many of you would have seen some of the disturbing images coming out of Myanmar. You know, I was watching it with one of my sons this week and there's a scene where um, some soldiers beat up uh, paramedics who were helping injured protesters. You know, and... We, we just talk really briefly, and I know that this is a massive, massive conversation, but we just talk really briefly about the blessing of the rule of law, um, where law's not being abused, but righteousness is being upheld. The grace of that. Now, Isaiah 32, verse 17, and the effect of righteousness will be peace, and the result of righteousness, quietness and trust forever. You know, we, we know that knowing where the lines are is good for us. I mean, Paul talks about in Romans 7, he says, I wouldn't have known what coveting was unless the law said, do not covet. There's a grace to finding out those kind of things. We know the, um, the Proverbs, you know, that talk about faithful are the wounds of a friend. You know, Psalm 141, five, let a righteous man strike me. It is a kindness. Let him rebuke me. It is oil for my head. Let my head not refuse it. Yet my prayer is continually against their evil deeds. The exercise of God's law is gracious and it leads to grace in the sense of uh, right living. But we could even go further, can't we, in the Old Testament? It's like, well, does grace pop up in the Old Testament? I just go, yeah, all over the place. I mean, look, God sets up a whole sacrificial system. What's that all about? Well, when you've sinned and you've blown it, you can actually go to to the temple and get things sorted out by faith. You know, and then you've got the reality of God passing over people's sins over and over and over again in the Old Testament. That's grace. This is Romans three twenty four to twenty five. Jesus Christ, whom God put forward as a propitiation by His blood to be received by faith, this was to show God's righteousness because in His divine forbearance He had passed over former sins. Now, grace is not absent from the Old Testament sacrificial system. It's not absent from the law. There's, there's a built-inness to it. But what grace replaced it? The grace which was in the law and the grace which surrounded the law was only a mere shadow of what was to come in the person of Jesus. He replaces the Old Testament system. 
You know, you look at the Old Testament law and some of the grace in it, you go, well, uh, that's gold-plated, isn't it? It's gold-plated grace. You get to Jesus, you go, that, that is solid. That is solid gold. Um, it's amazing. There's grace in the law, but it's actually a bit pathetic compared to what we see in Jesus himself. We see truth in the law, but it's a mere shadow of what we see as the truth that's embodied in Christ. Uh, In Jesus, we have an ever-deepening experience of the grace and the presence of God. And we see this beautiful mixture of grace and truth in the person of Christ. Here's where I want to finish today. The fullness of God. Come with me to uh, John 1 verse 18. No one has ever seen God. The only God who is at the Father's side, he has made him known. Now, some of you might go, I don't know whether that's true, right? Weren't there some people who saw God? And I would just submit to you that if you look at each and every one of those, there's some kind of qualification. They don't really get to see the essence and the centre of who God is. But here's what John wants us to know. He goes, the one that you can't see actually showed up in the person of Jesus. You know, for humanity to see the invisible God is impossible. But Jesus came in human flesh and we got to see him. And we hear things later on in John, um, whoever has seen me has seen the Father. You know, Jesus is God. He's the only son. He's the one who explains who God is. Jesus isn't a prophet. He isn't a witness. He is God himself. And so we sit up and we pay attention. And we listen to him. And this is where John's going to take us over the rest of the book, that we need to sit up and pay attention to who Jesus is. But it's more personal than that. Way more personal. And you're going to find this over and over and over again with John. He's just going to keep pushing into your space and just saying, this is really, really personal stuff. Um, Do you know what's interesting about uh, what we see here is that um, John's dropped God and the Word. Have you noticed that? And now he's talking about Son and Father. You see that? And that's what he's going to run with. You're not going to hear him talking about God and the Word again through the rest of the Gospel of John. He's going to talk about Son and Father. And who is this Son? How close is this Son? Well, I want you to imagine for a moment that you just decided one day, it's like I'm going to do a doco on Scott Morrison. All right? I'm just going to do a doco on him. I want to get to know what he's like and we're going to make a a half-hour doco about him and what he's like. Well, where would you start? Well, you might start with a water cooler conversation. You know, you could talk to someone at work over a, a coffee or a, a cup of water, and maybe they had just read an article, a news article about Scott Morrison. So you go, all right, I've got a little bit. I've got a little bit of information. So you go, I wonder who wrote that uh, news article. So you just go, all right, well, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to Okay, it's that lady. So I'm going to see if I can get in contact with that lady. So you find out who the journalist is and you go to the journalist and you say, um, can you tell me about ScoMo? And, uh, and she goes, well, you know, I get to travel a lot with ScoMo. I'm sometimes I'm with ScoMo six hours a day. Let me tell you some stuff about him. So you write all this stuff down and you're getting all your plans together. And then, and then you go, yeah, but I've, I've got to get better kind of closer information 
on him. So it's kind of like it's still not enough. So you go, it sounds a bit like a stalker, but just hang with me for a minute. You go, oh, I wonder where ScoMo gets his haircut. Um, where's his hairdresser, his doctor, respecting privacy, the restaurants that he goes to. So, so you, you do your best to track that down. You just go, okay, I'm going to go and talk to the waiter that actually got really close to, uh, to ScoMo. They've got better information. It's richer. It's like you're getting closer and closer to the people that are close to him. Eventually, much to your surprise, while you're at one of these venues talking to these people, his two daughters walk in. And you go, aha, this is my chance, right? Not in a weird way, but this is my chance. So you go over and you strike up a conversation. You say, girls, can you tell me what your dad's like? And they give you some incredibly rich information. Why? Because they're closer. They're closer than anyone else that you've spoken to. Now you're kind of on the inside. You're inside the real kind of ScoMo bubble. But then (laughs) his wife walks in. And so, okay, now we're just going to a whole new level at this point in time, aren't we? Um, Why? Because this is the person who is the closest to ScoMo. This is the one who knows him him best. She loves him. He loves her. And they sleep in the same bed together. Doesn't get any closer than that. If anyone knows him, it's going to be her. Well, this is a little taste of what John is actually trying to communicate to us. Have a look at verse 18. Who is the one who's actually come to communicate to us who God is? No one has ever seen God, the only God, listen to this, who is at the Father's side. Do you know, it's the same Greek phrase as we find in John 13, verse 23. Listen to this. One of his disciples, whom Jesus loved, was reclining at table at Jesus' side. That's way deeper than the ScoMo thing. The one that has actually come to tell us about God is the one who was so incredibly close to the Father. And do you notice the tense there in verse 18? It doesn't say he was at the Father's side. It's actually present tense. He is ongoingly at the Father's side. He's God, he's loved by God, and he's ongoingly connected in that depth of relationship with God. What's John saying to us? Um, It's always personal. Jesus is so closely, personally connected to the Father and we should be alert and actively listening and paying attention to him. I wonder if the uh, worship team could come up. We're going to sing. I wonder if you'd stand with me. Just going to pray. You know, um, over and over, 
in the uh, in the Gospels, we see a um, we see God saying something. He says it quite frequently. It happens, I think, at the Transfiguration. Uh, it happens when Jesus gets baptized. Uh, God the Father says, He says, "This is my beloved Son. Listen to Him." And I want to pray for you that you'd be a good listener, and that you'd be alert to Him. And do you know? Do you know what that looks like? That looks like how much you read your Bible, because <laughs> it's His. So you, you, if if you're going to be a good listener. You, you need to be reading the Bible. Um, it, it looks like you praying, God, can you please just show me what you want me to do? It, it's you taking a listening disposition. You know, it's not like just hearing something and not paying attention to it. I... Um, Spent a lot of years in a woodwork room at a school and there's lots of noises. It's a very noisy place, woodwork rooms. But you learn what noises you need to listen to and the ones you need to pay attention to. You know, and this is my encouragement for you this morning. There are lots of noises in our world, but do you do you zero in on Jesus? Do you zero in on his voice? You can trust him. You can trust him. Or do you listen to other noises, other voices? Let me pray for you. Jesus, your word uh, in James chapter 1 speaks of people who hear. Hear your word. Hear from you. Go to church hear someone preach like I've done today and then walk away and forget and do nothing it's likened to someone who uh, looks at their face in a mirror and then walks away and forgets what they look like Jesus I just uh, I pray that you would um, that you would settle us Even, even right now, as we, um, as many of us have so many voices in our head, the voices of our boss or our our friends or our enemies or people we're related to, that somehow in the cacophony of sounds. That often happens. That you would teach us the skill of listening to you. Listening to your voice. And not not just hearing something as though we can walk away thinking that's a nice idea. But really hearing you. The beloved one. The one and only son. The one who is at the father's side. We, we want you to speak to us through your word, by your spirit. We want you to lead us. Please help us to be good listeners to you, Jesus. Amen.